If you have your Bibles tonight, you're going to find yourself in 1 Peter. We're going to be back in chapter 4, and we're going to be picking up in verse number 7, going through verse number 11. Last week, we looked at checking our attitudes, and we looked at having a warrior attitude, that we're going to do everything we can to keep from sin. And, and, and we got to be diligent about that. And uh, we were reminded to have a warrior attitude. We also looked at the fact that we need to have a patient attitude, especially with those that are lost. We've got to be patient with them. But not only with the lost, but we also need to be patient with new believers. We need to be very careful that we don't discourage them, even though they may be in error, even though they might not uh, quite be getting that. But we're, uh, our job as believers is to encourage them and, and to come alongside them with the right attitude and, and, and to help them in their faith walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we also looked at that we should have a, uh, an attitude of expectation. We should be a people that are expecting God to do something. Would you agree with that tonight? Should we not be coming expecting God to do something? But now understand this. Even though we should come expecting Him to do something uh, wonderful in our midst, because He wants to do that, but we also have to put ourselves into position for Him to be able to do that. See, we have a part in this as well. We have a responsibility, do we not? And then we're going to see, uh, we're going to pick up with that, uh, and then we're going to look at, we got to have a fervent attitude. We got to be eager about this. We got to be passionate about what we're doing for the cause of Jesus Christ. Well, having said all that, we're looking in verse number seven. Now, before we read, I just got to quickly throw this in here. Last night was the All-Star Game. And, uh, and I don't get into baseball, but I do like the all-star game, and, and I'll get a little interested in baseball when the World Series comes. But, uh, of course, it was in Washington uh, last night, and I thought, well, maybe they might be doing something kind of uh, a little special when they do the uh, uh, singing of the anthem and all that. So I, I tuned in, and uh, sure enough, they did. They had 29 Medal of Honor Recipients there. 29 who have who earned the Medal of Honor. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I saw those uh, men, uh, three or four of them were in wheelchairs. There were two or three that were still in uniform, which means they're still active in the military service. And, and, and just hearing about this and, and seeing them, I, I just got a little stirred up. And then they had a mass choir to come out and they sang our national anthem. And guess what? All the players on the field stood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm a baseball fan now. (laughs) And then they had a flyover. I don't know what it is about those flyovers. But I get it. I, I just get goosebumps thinking about that. And I was, I just got, was encouraged that we still have some that still respect our flag and are still paying honor and respect to our uh, military and to our veterans. So now, okay, let's move on. All right. 
Okay, we're picking up in verse number 7. And we're going to look at an expectant attitude. Remember last week we looked at that Peter in uh, verses, uh, starting in verse 7, going through verse 19, gives 10 commitments. As we have an expecting attitude, uh, there's 10 commitments that we need to make uh, as we're expecting. Now, uh, what he's and referring to here, he was expecting, the, early, the church here was expecting Jesus to come. Okay? And so he goes and says, but the end of all, th- of all things is at hand. Okay? Peter, now, Peter is writing this letter to encourage this church. This church was being persecuted. This church was going through some difficult times. But here, one of the ways that he was encouraging them, he says, hey, just hang in there. Jesus is at hand. My dear friends and my dear church, we ought to be expecting and I can encourage you and I can be encouraged by these words, Jesus is coming soon. Okay? And so he goes on, he says, in all things, is at hand, but ye therefore uh, be to be sober and watch unto prayer. So first of all, we're going to see as we're expecting the soon return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we need to be sober-minded. Then the second thing that we see is that we should be watching and we should be praying. But then he goes on and says, And above all things, having a fervent charity, or having a fervent love. That's the third thing that we're going to see. Not only are we expecting, but we're expecting because Jesus is coming. And so that helps me to be sober-minded. That also helps me uh, not only to be sober-minded, but I'm going to be watching and I'm going to be praying. And then I should have a love that... That's a fervent love. A love for who? Well, he goes on and says, among yourselves. Now, here's Peter. He's encouraging the church. He says, look, I'm encouraging you. And you need to have an attitude that you're expecting the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we're expecting that, he says that we should have a fervent love to one another. We ought to be loving one another even more. Why? Because he's coming. Because he's coming. And he says, goes on, he says, uh, For love, or charity, shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, we see the next thing that he helps us. We are to use hospitality one to another without grudging. Verse number 10. As every man hath received, and then he goes, uh, as every man hath received, received what? What does it say there? What are, what are we to receive? The gift. And then he talks about, and he finishes, and, and when he go to verses 10 and 11, he says that every one of us, paraphrasing here, but every one of us is where a believer will have at least one spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift that's been given to you, you didn't ask for it. It's a grace gift. So don't go around praying, I wish I had the gift of this. God's giving you the gift that He thought that you needed. Not thought, knew that you needed. And so what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to use our spiritual gift to bring glory and honor into the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. 
Jesus is coming soon. So the first thing that we see in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 18, it tells us, uh, and they're reminded once again, that we are in the latter days. He goes in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 18, he talks about uh, the coming of the Antichrist. And then he also talks in that uh, passage there in 1 John, he talks about, but there are many Antichrist. And because of that... We are in the last times or the latter days. Now, it goes on, as I made mention in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, the commitment. So, the first thing that we see is we're to be sober. Look at verse number 7. We're to be sober-minded. Now, what are we to be sober-minded about? Prophecy. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we need to be sober. That word sober means to be clear. Not to, not to go to the extremes. Not to be going way over here and doing crazy things like setting dates. And we've had a number of those. And here, here's the thing I found out. Most of those that wrote those books about 88 reasons why he's going to come in 88 and all those type of things like that, I really believe they were probably sincere. Now, they were misinformed, but they were sincere. They really thought he was coming back then. Now, so they're setting dates. Well, that's unbiblical to set dates because Jesus says no one knows the time. Now, we can know the season, and we're in the season. I believe we're in the season, okay? And so he says to be sober-minded. And then he goes on and there he says, now don't get so caught up and who and you coming up and saying, I know who the Antichrist is. Well, there was some that thought Hitler was the Antichrist. There was some that thought Khrushchev was the Antichrist. Some of you thought it was Obama that was the Antichrist. And watch this. None of us really know who the Antichrist is. But, but it could be very well that he is here now. But he's not going to reveal himself to after we're gone. Why, why do you say that? Because the rapture of the church, right? And the rapture of the church, when we're, when we're taken out of here, then if you go and study prophecy, you will see start things unfolding. Now, do I believe that everything is said? Oh, we can see the handwriting on the wall, can we not? But we don't be careful about saying, I know when he's coming, or, or that we are getting so engrossed upon the fact that uh, we, we get so uh, uh, go to seed with prophecy, and, and that's all we're studying about, and, and we ought to be studying prophecy. I'm not saying not to do that. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, you can get so engrossed in that that you don't look around and you don't witness for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're not concerned about your neighbor that's going to hell because you're so engrossed in, in prophecy and coming up with things. Oh, I figured it out. I know what he means by all of this. Now, do you see where I'm going with that? Do you understand? He said we're to be sober-minded. Now, Dr. Warren Wiersbe tells a story. And the story goes uh, that he, uh, in his younger years, he preached a message on prophecy. 
And he says, I preached a message on prophecy. And he said, I thought that I had to answer every question about prophecy. And he says, I did. I, I, just, I thought, well, I dealt with this, 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 that. He said, a pastor friend of his heard that sermon and came to him after he preached. And he said, dear brother, he said, it sounds to me like you're on the planning committee for the return of Christ. Dr. Wearsby said, I understood what he was getting at. But then he came back to me and later on he says, you know what? I've moved from the planning committee to where now I want to be a part of the welcoming committee. Do you see what we're talking about here? Yes, prophecy is important. Yes, we, uh, uh, there's no, no dispute about that. What I'm saying is we could get so engrossed in that that we forget the other ministry that we should be going about. Am I making any sense tonight? Okay. First Timothy chapter 3 verse number 2 says, one of the qualifications for a pastor is to be sober-minded. You know, he's not out here, he's not out here. You know, he's not doing crazy stuff and all of that. Also, in Titus chapter 2 verse number 1, he, say, he says the church should be sober-minded. What we're trying to say is, is we're expecting people and, and we understand that the Lord Jesus could come back any time, but we need to be balanced about it. Okay? Not going to extremes one way or another. But then we see that oh, not only are to be sober-minded, but look what he says. Now that leads right in to the next Watch and pray. What are we watching for? The return of our Lord. Are, 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 you, not, are you not watching for His return? We should be because He could come at any time. And so we're watching and we're praying. Now, what do we mean about... Well, that word watch means to be alert. It means don't be asleep. Don't get complacent. Don't, don't fall into the trap to where, oh, I've heard this preach a long time. Oh, I've heard that over and over again. And so we get kind of numb to it, if you will. We, we, we kind of fall asleep at the fact that Jesus could come at any time. Now, we understand Peter understood fully about watching and praying. Remember in Matthew chapter four, uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 37 through 40, Jesus is praying. He's, he, he's, he, he says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this uh, cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so he called uh, Peter and the, and the others. He said, would you come up and pray? Now, this is, this is uh, one of the times that the Lord really could have some encouragement and support. And so they go up there with the intent to pray. So Jesus is finished. He goes over, and where does he find Peter? Asleep. Have we fallen asleep? I mean, I mean, are we not are in the early church? And you look at the oh, Paul and, and Peter and all them. They really believed that Jesus could come back at any time. Have we fallen asleep at the fact? I believe we have. 
Oh, we talk about it and we get a little excited when we talk. But in our day-to-day, do, do we really start to look up and say, Lord, it could be today. Could be today. That's the attitude we should have, is it not? We're watching and we're praying. But then we see it in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18. And so we're watching and we're praying. But now notice here, uh, now we move into verses 8 through 11, we see that we should have a fervent attitude. Fervent attitude, what does it mean? Oh, well, a fervent attitude means an eagerness. It's an athletic term. It means it a, a shows like a, an athlete who's running a race and he's straining himself as he gets closer to the finish line. He's doing everything he can. He's giving everything he can. And he's stretching. And I mean, he's, he's eager. He wants to finish. And he wants to finish well. Well, that's the, what it talks about. Fervent. What are we supposed to be fervent of? Well, first of all, we're to be fervent in our love for one another. We should be eager. Now, when we're talking about love, we're not necessarily talking about uh, emotional feeling. That is part of it. But when we're really showing our love and our eagerness to love one another, it's going to show in our actions. What actions are we talking about? Well, uh, we see here that, uh, that he's quoting... And he talks about a covering sins. You see that? Love covers a multitude of sins. See that? Now that is from Proverbs chapter 10 verse number 12. Okay? And it says that love will cover all sins. Alright? Now, watch this. So what does that exactly mean? Well, go to James chapter 5 verse number 20. James chapter 5, verse number 20, it talks about the covering the sins uh, and, that, uh, and it, it talks about uh, it cover a multitude of sins, James 5, 20. Now, go back, James 5, look at verse number 16. And in verse number 16, it's talking about we are to confess our sins one to another. You catching this? Okay, now, what does it mean... To cover our sins. Of course we understand is that we're just not, uh, uh, the Lord is not just covering our sins or uh, not condoning our sins. That's not what he's talking about here. And he's talking about if we're going to exhibit a fervent love for one another, when it talks about, the, the, about covering of sins, it's not talking about we'll go up there and say, hey, you know what, it's okay, we all mess up along the way, let's just sweep this thing under the rug. That's not what he's talking about. In verse number 16, it says, to confess your sins one to another. Now, we're going to meddling here now. Confess my sins to one another? Do you mean that I'm supposed to go to Brother Jim and I'm going to say, Jim, look, I got this sin, got this stronghold on my life, and, and, and brother, I'm just coming to you. I, I need you to pray for me. Okay? You get, all right? So, what have I done? I've confessed to Jim, right? So, Jim, intentionally or unintentionally, goes to Miss Julie. He says, Now, Julie, have you talked to Brother Mike lately? 
Well, yeah, no, no, no. Why do you ask? Well, I was just wondering. Well, he came to me the other day and he confessed to sin. He said, now look, look, I'm not trying to spread gossip. I'm not trying to stir anything up. I just think you need to pray for Brother Mike too. That's the way it should be, right? No, no, no. When I confess my sin to Jim, that's between me and Jim. Unless I give him permission. Okay, so Jim is not going to come and spread it to Terry or anybody else. Why? Because he has a love for me and he doesn't want to bring more shame that's already been placed upon me. That'll preach right there. And that's what's happened in many of our churches where our so-called prayer meetings have turned into gossip sessions and where we no longer trust anybody And because I can't trust anybody, I'm not going to go to you because I know what's going to happen. You're going to go ahead and you're going to put it on Facebook and you're going to make some phone calls and you're going to try to spiritualize it. That's not what this text is talking about. It says, because He is coming soon, that when you come to me and you share with me because I'm a brother and sister and because you should have some trust in me and because I'll tell you that I love you. Listen, brother, I'm going through a rough spot here and I just want you to know I need you praying for me. And so what do I do? I pray for him, but I don't go spread it around to everybody else. That's what the text is called. That's how we're to cover our sins. The Lord Jesus doesn't cover your sin. He has not only covered, but he's removed it from you. And so here the Bible is quite clear. Now I'm going to give you a a biblical illustration. Genesis chapter 9. Everybody still okay? Genesis chapter 9. Look at verses 18 through 27. Very familiar story. It's about Noah. Noah gets drunk. And Noah uncovers himself. Ham comes in. Finds daddy drunk and naked. He goes to the family... His two brothers uh, come to Noah. And the Bible says they covered Noah. Why did they do that? Because they were covering not only his sin, but the shame that was coming with that sin. And they didn't go out and tell nobody else. Here's what's happening too many times. We're making our circles far bigger than they need to be. If someone comes to you in confidence, they should be able to trust you and not feel like, well, I probably blew it on that one. That's going to be all over creation. Is that not a shame? Is that not a sad testimony on the church? And it's happened too many times. By the way, I found out many years ago, and I got some good counsel. I had a dear pastor come to me, and he said, Mike, he says, here's one thing that I want you to understand. In the ministry, people are going to come to you, 
and they're going to talk to you about their sin. And they're going to come to you in confidence. He says, my dear brother, if you ever violate that confidence, your ministry's done. You've lost it. Because I'm guaranteeing you, word's going to get out. Don't go to Brother Mike. Man, he'll be wagging it all over the place. What I'm supposed to do to show... And here again, it comes under the heading of love. We love one another, right? If you're... if one of your sons or daughters or someone in your immediate family comes to you and, and they divulge something that's, that, that's horrific and something that's, uh, I mean, just uh, would devastate you. You don't get on the phone and say, hey, guess what? Guess what my boy just told me? He's a pervert. You wouldn't do that. But why do we do it to our church family? God help us. And that's the reason why the church has lost integrity. But here's, here's even more damaging. When the word gets out on something that was said to you in confidence, instead of you covering that sin, and you go out and give the information out, what happens to that lost person that hears it? Huh. Well, yeah, boy, and you invited me to your church? I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm just telling you, the church has lost its integrity, even with a lost world, because they hear all of the dirty laundry. And I'm not saying we're condoning. When I'm saying we're trying to be secretive, what I'm saying is we should have enough love and trust to one another that if you come to me and confess a sin that, that has already brought you shame and has always brought you embarrassment, we ought to be able to in confidence be saying, you know what, I went to my brother and what did he do? He prayed for me, period. Amen. He just lifted me up. Amen. What would it, how would it change the ministry of the church. And so here, that's what he's talking about. He says, love will cover a multitude of sin. But look at verse number 9. Now, out of that love comes hospitality, right? Hospitality. Back in the day of Peter's writing here, they didn't have a holiday inn and all that. And so when you would have, uh, and, and especially with believers, or if you had uh, men of God traveling through, there were not that many inns, and they would always be looking for a place to spend the night. And so believers would open their homes up to other believers. And not only believers, but they, the strangers that were coming through, they would open their homes up. Remember, Paul talked about this quite a bit. He was grateful that uh, those that would open their homes up to him. That's, that's the word hospitality. Now, hospitality is that if you come to me as a brother and sister and you've kind of fallen on some tough times, I should be able to welcome you and invite you into my home. That's what he's talking about here. Why? Brothers kind of hit a tough spot here. And so out of, my, out of my love for them, I'm going to show my hospitality. 
Jesus was very grateful for the hospitality that was shown to him. Many would open their homes up. I started thinking about this, and that's always troublesome that I'm thinking. But I thought, what, what would I do say, and this is, going to be, this is going to be touchy here, that someone from Syria winds up in Lebanon, not Lebanon. You know the difference, don't you? Lebanon is in the Middle East. And I get calls sometimes say, okay, Mr. Shelby, you live on 2020 Arlington Road, Lebanon. I said, no, 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 it's Lebanon. <laughs> Lebanon is in the Middle East. Okay. But they come and they find out that I'm a minister of the gospel. They come up to my house and they said, we do not never met, you never met me, but I want you to know I have been driven out of my homeland, which they are. Islamic, Islam is driving the believers out. And it says, I just, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But I've come to you because I understood you're a believer. And I'm a believer too. Is it not my responsibility to welcome them in? Is that, that's what he's talking about. Hospitality. Doesn't matter how they got. What it matters is they, they give testimony that they believe in Jesus Christ. They, they give testimony that, that they've accepted Him as Lord and Savior. And because of no, no fault of their own, they've been driven out because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they're knocking at my door. They found out I'm a believer. The Bible says I'm to welcome them in. How welcoming are we to believers? Not from Syria, just believers in general. That's what he's talking about here. So if I have a fervent love like I ought to, I shouldn't have any issues Say, Brother, I got a spare room here. Come on in. If you go to Israel, the Bedouins live out in the desert, live in tents which is a pretty funny sight because they live in these tents, pretty large tents. They're out there in the desert, but they have a Mercedes and a satellite dish beside their tent. But anyway, <laughs> but if, I, if, you, if you go, never met them before, they don't know you, but if you go to them, their culture says they will welcome you in. I thought, boy, isn't that what believers should be doing? We should be welcoming. We should be uh, showing our love for them. And then he goes on and he says, not on hospitality. There's a whole lot we can say about that. But then look at verses 10 and 11. By the way, Moses in Exodus, Moses put hospitality within the law. In their law, that, that he put that in there. Now, he talks about gifts. Gifts. We're to use our spiritual gifts. Now, we don't have the time. That's another sermon for another day. But 1 Corinthians gives us, a, uh, lays it out a little better about the gifts. But every one of us 
If you're a believer, every one of us have at least one spiritual gift. And by the way, as I may mention, they're all grace gifts. What am I supposed to do with this gift? You're supposed to use it for the glory Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, I'll go ahead and say it anyway. Speaking in tongues, the way the modern, the one that you, that you hear like that, where you, that is not a spiritual gift. Why? Spiritual gifts supposed to bring praise and glory to Him. A spiritual gift is to help someone who's lost come to know Jesus, right? So you go to a service, and man, it breaks out, and they're going, I am, and all that kind of stuff, and you're a lost man, you're going to walk out lost. A gift is to bring glory. By the way, that speaking in tongues, it brings glory to the one who says he has that gift. Don't you ever boast about your spiritual gifts because there were grace gifts. Grace gifts. You didn't deserve it. You can't ask for it. God in His sovereign grace gave it to you and we're to use it for His glory. And so watch. So we're, we're expecting, right? We've looked at five things here. There's five more. Don't have time. We see all of it. Notice how it just one flows right into the next one. So the question for us tonight is, are we really expectant people? Do we really expect the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at any moment? Then we would be practicing these things that we find here in 1 Peter, would we not? I'm going to be loving you more. Why? Because we're fixing to leave here. (laughs) I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to show hospitality to you. Why? Because we could leave at any moment. I'm going to use my spiritual gifts that the Lord has given me. Why? To bring glory and honor to Him. I, I'm going to show my love for you that when you come to me and, and you say, man, man, I got a burden. Man, I, I, I got something you need to pray for me about that, that, that I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to help cover your sin because you've already have enough shame upon you. You already have enough guilt in you and I'm going to protect you and, and I'm not going to condone your sin. Now, that's not what we're talking about. But I'm going to love you and I'm not going to spread it around. Why? Because he's coming and he's coming soon. And then we can go through the rest of them, can we not? So the question for us tonight is, what's your attitude? Do you have a warrior attitude? I mean, you, you, you were, uh, you're, you're like Joseph. You want to get from any, any sense of a sin, you don't want to even go close to it. Uh, you get patient. You're, you're patient with uh, lost people. You don't get in an argument right off the bat when they say, well, I don't believe that stuff. I think you're kind of crazy. And so what do we do? We say, well, you're the one that's crazy. You're the one that's going to go to hell, and I'm glad you're going to hell. But, Sometimes we'll do that, won't we? 
We'll get some fight, man. That flesh will rise up and says, well, good. Just go ahead and go to hell. When we ought to be saying, brother, I'd love to be able to come back and talk to you again about this. And I'm going to be praying for you. Am I wrong on this? What's our attitude? We should be patient and new believers. We ought to be patient with them. Hey, yeah, not, not saying I just, I just won't say anything about it. Say, no, listen, brother, you, you've kind of missed the boat here. Now, let me show you, let me show you in the Word of God why this is the way you should have handled that, whatever the case may be. We're being expectant. Jesus is coming back, which means I should have a fervent, passionate attitude. Why? Because if I really believe He's coming back, I got some folks that I know that need to get saved. And it could be their time is running out. Church, Hillcrest Baptist Church has been placed here in this community not by accident. It's been placed here to be light and to be salt. And we have to have the right attitudes to be able to do what the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us to do. Go and preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying community.